0: The Lord of the Rings by J. R. R. Tolkien, continuing the story of The Hobbit. Chapter Eight: The Stairs of Cirith Ungul. Gollum was hugging at Frodo's cloak and hissing with fear and impatience. "We must go," he said. "We mustn't stand here. Make haste!" Reluctantly, Frodo turned his back on the west and followed as his guide led him out of in- out into the darkness of the east. They left the ring of trees and crept along the road towards the mountains. This road, too, ran straight for a while, but soon it began to bend away southwards until it came right under the great shoulder of a rock that had that they had seen from the distance, black and foreboding, it loomed o- above them, darker than the dark sky behind, crawling under its shadow. The road went on, and rounding it sprang east again and began to climb steeply. Frodo and Sam were plodding along with heavy hearts, no longer able to care greatly about their peril. Frodo's head was bowed. His burden was dragging him down again as soon as the great crossroads had be- had been passed the weight of it almost forgotten in Ahellian had begun to grow once more. Now feeling the way became now feeling the way become steep before his feet, he looked warily up and then he saw it, even as Gollum had said that he would the city of the ringwraiths. he cowered against a stony bank, a long til- a long tilted valley, a deep gulf of shadow ran back far into the mountains. Upon the further side, some way within the valley's arms, high in a rocky seat upon the black knees of the Ephel stood the walls and towers of Minas Morgal. All was dark about it, earth and sky, but it was lit with light, not the imprisoned moonlight welling through the marble walls of Minas itha long ago, tower of the moon, fair and radiant in the hollow of the hills. Paler, indeed, the moon ailing in some s- slow eclipse, was the light of it now, wavering and playing like a noisome exhalation of decay a corpse light a light that illuminated nothing in the walls and tower windows showed like countless black holes looking inward into emptiness but the topmost course of the tower revolved slowly first one way and then another a huge ghostly head leering into the night for a moment the three companions stood there shrinking staring up with unwilling eyes gollum was the first to recover again he pulled at their cloaks urgently But he spoke no word almost he dragged them forward each every step was reluctant and time seemed to slow its pace so that between the raising of a foot and the setting setting of it down minutes of loathing passed so they came slowly to the white bridge here the road gleaming faintly passed over the stream in the midst of the valley and went on winding deviously up towards the city's gate a black mouth opening in the outer circle of the northward walls wide flats lay on either bank shadowy meads filled with pale white flowers luminous these were too beautiful and yet horrible of shape like the demented forms in in an uneasy dream and they gave forth a faint sickening charnel smell an odor of rottenness filled the air from mead to mead the bridge sprang figures stood there at its head carbon with cunning and forms human and bestial but all corrupt and loathsome The water following beneath was silent, and it steamed, but the vapor that rose from it, curling and twisting about the bridge, was deadly cold. Frodo felt his senses reeling and his mind darkening. Then suddenly, as if some force were at work other than his own will, he began to hurry, tottering forward, his groping hand out, his head lolling from side to side. Both Sam and Gollum ran after him. Sam caught his master in his arms as he stumbled and almost fell right on the threshold of the bridge. Not that way, no, not that way, whispered Gollum. But the breath between his teeth seemed to tear, with, tear the heavy stillness like a whistle, and he cowered to the ground in terror. Hold up, Mr. Frodo, muttered Sam in Frodo's ear. Come back, not that way. Gollum says not, and for once I agree with him. Frodo passed his hand over his brow and wrenched, wrenched his eyes away from the city on the hill. The luminous tower fascinated him, and he fought the desire that was on him to run up the gleaming road towards its gate. At last, with an effort, he turned back. As he did so, he felt the ring resisting him, dragging at the chain about his neck. And his eyes, too, as he looked away, seemed for the moment to have been blinded. The darkness before him was impenetrable. Gollum, crawling on the ground like a frightened animal, was already vanishing into the gloom. Sam, supporting and guiding his stumbling master, followed after him as quickly as he could. Not far from the near bank of the stream, there was a gap in the stone wall beside the road through this they passed and sam saw that they were on a narrow path that gleamed faintly at first as the main road did until climbing above the meads of deadly flowers it faded and went dark winding its crooked way up into the northern sides of the valley along this path the hobbits trudged side by side unable to see gollum in front of them except when he turned back to beckon them on Then his eyes shone with a green-white light, reflecting the noisome morgo sheen, perhaps, or kindled by some answering mood within. Of that deadly gleam and and of the dark eye-holes, Frodo and Sam were always conscious, ever glancing fearfully over their shoulders and ever dragging their eyes back to to find the darkening path. Slowly, Slowly they labored on. As they rose above the stench and vapors of the poisonous stream, their breath became easier and their heads clearer but now their limbs were deadly tired, as if they had walked all night under a burden or had been swimming long against a heavy tide of water. At last they could go no further without a halt. Frodo stopped and sat down on a stone. They had now climbed up to the top of a great hump of bare rock. Ahead of them there was a bay up in the valley side, and round the head of this path went on, no more than a wide ledge with a chasm on the right. Across the sheer... Southward faced the mountain and crawled upwards until it disappeared into the blackness above. I must rest a while, Sam, whispered Frodo. It's heavy on me, Sam, lad, very heavy. I wonder how far I can carry it. Anyway, I must rest before I venture on to that. He pointed to the narrow way ahead. Shh! hissed Gollum, hurrying back to them. Shh! His fingers were on his lips and he shook his head urgently, tugging at Frodo's sleeve. He pointed towards the path, but Frodo would not move not yet he said not yet weariness and more than weariness oppressed him it seemed as if a heavy spell was laid on his mind and body i must rest he muttered at this Gollum's fear and agitation became so great that he spoke again hissing behind his hand as if to keep the sound from unseen listeners in the air not here no not, re- not rest here fools eyes can see us when they climb to the bridge they will see us come away climb climb come Come, Mr. Frodo, said Sam. He's right. We can't stay here. All right, said Frodo in a remote voice as of one speaking half asleep. I will try. Wearily, he got to feet, but it was too late. At that moment, the rock quivered and trembled beneath them. The great rumbling noise, louder than ever before, rolled in the ground and echoed in the mountains. Then with searing suddenness, there was a There came a great red flash. Far beyond the eastern mountains it leapt into the sky and splashed the lowering clouds with crimson. In that valley of shadow and cold deathly light it seemed unbearably violent and fierce. Peaks of stone and ridges like notched knives sprang out and staring black against the uprushing flame and Gorgoroth. Then came a great crack of thunder, and Minas Morgul answered. There was a flare of livid lightnings. Forks of blue flame springing up the tower and from the encircling hills into the sullen clouds, the earth groaned, and out of the city there came a cry, mingled with harsh voices as of birds of prey, and the shrill neighing of neighbor, and the shrill neighing of horses. Wild with rage and fear, they, there came a rending, rending screech, shivering, rising swiftly to a piercing pitch beyond the range of hearing. The hobbits wheeled round towards it and cast themselves down, holding their hands upon their ears. As the terrible cry ended, falling back through a a long, sickening well to silence, Frodo slowly raised his head. Across the narrow valley, now almost on a level with his eyes, the walls of the evil city stood, and its cavernous gate, shaped like an open mouth with gleaming teeth, was gaping wide, and out of the dark an army came. All that host was clad in sable, dark as the night. Against the wan walls, in the luminous pavement of the road, Frodo could see them, small black figures in rank upon rank, marching swiftly and silently, passing outwards in an endless stream. Before them went a great cavalry of horsemen moving like ordered shadows, and at their head was one greater than all the rest, a rider, a black, save that on his hooded head he had a helm like a crown that flickered with a perilous light. Now he was drawing near the bridge below. And Frodo's staring eyes followed him, unable to wink or to withdraw. Surely there was I surely there surely there was the Lord of the Nine Riders returned to earth to lead his ghastly host to battle? Here, yes, here indeed was the haggard king whose cold hand was smitten down the ring down the ring bearer with, with his deadly knife. The old wound throbbed with pain, and the great chill spread towards Frodo's heart. Even as these thoughts pierced him with dread and held him bound as with a spell, the rider halted suddenly right before the entrance of the bridge, and behind him all that all the host stood still. There was a pause, a dead silence. maybe it was the ring that called to the wraith lord, and for a moment he was troubled, sensing some other power within his valley. this way and that turned the dark head helmed and crowned with fear, sweeping the shadows with its unseen eyes. Frodo waited, like a bird at the approach of a snake, unable to move. And as he waited, he felt more, ur- more urgent than ever before the command that he should put on the ring. But great as the pressure was, he felt no inclination now to yield to it. He knew that the ring would only betray him, and that he had not, even if he put it on, the power to face the Morgul King. Not yet. There was no longer any po- there was no longer any answer to that command in his own will. Dismayed by dismayed by terror though it was and he felt only the beating upon him of a great power from outside it took his hand and as Frodo watched with his mind not willing it but in suspense suspense, as if he looked on some old story far away it moved the hand inch by inch towards the chain upon his neck then his own will stirred slowly it forced the hand back and set it to find another thing a thing lying hidden near his breast cold and hard it seemed as his grip closed on it The file of Galadriel, so long treasured and almost forgotten till that hour. As he touched it for a while, all thought of the ring was banished from his mind. He sighed and bent his head. At that moment, the wraith king turned and spurred his horse and rode across the bridge, and all his dark host followed him. Maybe the elvenhoods defied his unseen eyes, and the mind of his small enemy, being strengthened, had turned aside his thought. But he was in haste. Already the hour had struck, and at, and at his great master's bidding he must march with war into the west. Soon he had passed, like a shadow into shadow, down the winding road. Behind him this, still the black ranks crossed the bridge. So great an army had never issued from that vale since the days of Isidore's might. No host so fell and strong in arms, and yet assailed the fords of Anduin. And yet it was but one and not the greatest of the hosts that Mordor now sent forth. Frodo stirred, and suddenly his heart went out to Faramir. The storm has burst at last, he thought. This great array of spears and swords is going towards Gilead. Will Farmer get across in time? He guessed it, but did he know the hour? And who can now hold the fords when the king of the nine riders comes? And other armies will come. I'm too late. All is lost. I tarried on the way. All is lost even if my errand is performed no one will ever know there will be no one i can tell it will be in vain overcome with weakness he wept and still the host of morgo crossed the bridge then at a great distance as if it came out of memories of the shire some sunlight some sunlit early morning when the day called and the doors were opening he heard sam's voice speaking wake up mr frodo wake up had the voice added your breakfast is ready he hardly would have been surprised certainly sam was urgent wake up mr frodo they're gone he said there was a dull clang the gates of Minas Morgul had closed the last rank of spears had vanished down the road the tower still grinned across the valley but the light was fading in it the whole city was falling back into the dark brooding shade and silence yet still it was filled with watchfulness wake up mr frodo they're gone and we better go too there's something still alive in that place something with eyes or a seeing mind if you take me and the longer we stay in one spot the sooner we'll get us get on us come on mr frodo frodo raised his head and then stood up despair had not left him but the weakness had passed he even smiled grimly feeling now as clearly as a moment before he had felt the opposite That what he had to do, he had to do, and if he could, and that whether Faramir or or Elrond or Galadriel or Gandalf or anyone else ever knew about it was beside the purpose. He took his staff in one hand and the file in his other. When he saw that the clear light was already welling through his fingers, he thrust it into his bosom and held it against his heart. Then turning from the city of Morgul, now no more than a grey glimmer across a dark gulf, he prepared to take the upward road. Gollum it seemed had crawled off along the ledge into the darkness beyond. When the gates of Minas Morgul opened, leaving the hobbits where they lay, he now came creeping back, his teeth chattering and his fingers snapping. "Foolish, silly!" he hissed. "Make haste! They mustn't think danger is past. It hasn't. Make haste!" They did not answer, but they followed him on the climbing ledge. It was little to the liking of either of them, not even after facing so many other perils, but it did not last long. Soon the path reached a round angle where the mountain's sides swelled out again, and there it suddenly entered a narrow opening in the rock. They had come to the first stair that Gollum had spoken of. The darkness was almost complete, and they could see nothing much beyond their hands stretch, but Gollum's eyes shone pale, several feet above, as he turned back towards them. Careful, he whispered, steps, lots of steps, must be careful. Care was certainly needed. Fredo and Sam at first felt easier, having not a wall on either side, but the stairway was almost as steep as a ladder, and as they climbed up and up they became more and more aware of the long black fall behind them, and the steps were narrow, spaced unevenly, and often treacherous. They war- They were worn and smooth at the edges, and some were broken, and some cracked as foot was set upon them. The hobbits struggled on, until at last they were clinging with desperate fingers to the steps ahead and forcing their anky- aching knees to bend and straighten, and ever as the stair cut its way deeper into the sheer mountain, the rock walls rose higher and higher above their heads. At length, just as they felt that they could endure no more, they saw Gollum's eyes peering down at them again. "'Where up?' he whispered. First stairs passed, clever hobbits to climb so high, three clever hobbits. Just wait a few more little steps and that's all, yes. Dizzy and very tired, Sam and Frodo following him, crawled up the last step and sat down rubbing their legs and knees. They were in a deep, dark passage that seemed still to go up before them, though at a a gentler slope and without steps. Gollum did not let them rest long. There's another stair still, he said, much longer stair. Rest when we get to the top of next stair. Not yet sam groaned longer did you say he asked yes yes longer said gollum but not so difficult hobbits have climbed the straight stair next comes the winding stair and what after that said sam we shall see said gollum oh yes we shall see i thought you said there was a tunnel said sam isn't there a tunnel or something to go through Oh, yes, starts the tunnel, said Gollum. But hobbits can rest before they try that. If they get through that, they'll be nearly at the top, very nearly if they get through. Oh, yes. Frodo shivered. The climb had made him sweat, but now he felt cold and clammy, and there was a chill draught blowing down from the invisible heights above. He got up and shook himself. Well, let's go on in, he said. This is no place to sit in. The passage seemed to go on for miles, and always the chill air flowed over them, rising as they went on to a bitter wind. The mountains seemed to be trying with their deadly breath to daunt them, to turn them back from the secrets of the high places, or to blow them away into the darkness behind. They only knew that they had come to the end, when suddenly they felt no wallop at their right hand. They could see very little. Great black, shapeless masses and deep gray shadows loomed above them and about them. But now and again, a dull red light flickered up and under the lowering clouds, and for a moment they were aware of tall peaks in front and on either side, like pillars holding up a vast sagging roof. They seemed to have climbed up many hundreds of feet onto a wide shelf. A cliff was on their left and a chasm on their right. Gollum led the way close onto the cliff. For the present they were no longer climbing, but the ground was now more broken and dangerous in the dark, and there were blocks and lumps of fallen stone in the way. Their going was slow and cautious. How many hours had passed since they entered the moor Vale neither Sam nor Frodo could any longer guess. The night seemed endless. At length they were once more aware of a wall looming up, and once more a stairway opened before them. Again they halted, and again they began to climb. It was a long and weary ascent, but this stairway did not delve into the mountainside. Here, the huge cliff face sloped backwards, and the path, like a snake, wound to and fro across it. At one point, it crawled sideways to the to the. It, at one point, it crawled sideways right to the edge of the dark chasm, and Frodo, glancing down, saw below him as a vast, deep pit, the great ravine at the head of the Morgul Valley. Down in its depths glimmered like a, blo- like a glow-worm, thread-like, thread the wraith road from the dead city to the nameless pass. He turned hastily away. Still on and up, the stairway bent and crawled, until at last, with the final flight, short and straight, it climbed out again to another level. The path had veered away from the main pass and in the great ravine, and it now followed its own perilous course at the bottom of a lesser cleft among the higher regions of the Ethel Duath. Dimly, the hobbits could discern tall, pi- tall piers and jagged pinnacles of stone on either side, between which were great crevices and fissures, blacker than the night, where forgotten winters had gnawed and carved the sunless stone. And now the red light in the sky seemed strong- stronger, though they could not tell whether a dreadful morning were indeed coming to this place of shadow, and whether they saw only the flame of some great violence of Sauron and the torment of Gorgoroth Mahat beyond. still still far ahead and still high above frodo looking up saw as he guessed the very crown of this bitter road against the sullen redness of the eastern sky a cleft was outlined in the topmost ridge narrow deep cloven between two black shoulders and on either shoulder was a horn of stone he paused and looked more attentively the horn upon the left was tall and slender and it burned a red light or else the red light in the lit and beyond was a shining hole He saw now. It was a black tower poised above the outer pass. He touched Sam's arm and pointed. "'I don't like the look of that,' said Sam. "'So this sacred way of yours is guarded after all,' he growled, turning to Gollum. "'As you knew all along, I suppose.' "'All ways are watched, yes,' said Gollum. "'Of course they are. But hobbits must try some way. "'This may be least watched. "'Perhaps they've all gone away to big battle. Perhaps.' "'Perhaps,' grunted Sam.' Well, it seems a long way off, and a long way up before we get there, and there's still the tunnel. I think you ought to rest now, Mr. Frodo. I don't know what time of day or night it is, but we've kept going for hours and hours. Yes, we must rest, said Frodo. Let us find some corner out of the wind and gather our strength for the last lap. For so he felt it to be, the terrors of the land beyond, and the deed to be done there seemed remote, too far off yet to trouble him. All his mind was bent on getting through, or over this impenetrable wall, and guard. If once he could do that impossible thing, then somehow the errand would be accomplished, or so it seemed to him in that dark hour of weariness. still laboring in the stony shadows under Cirith and Gull. In a dark crevice between the two great piers of rock they sat down, Frodo and Sim a little way within, and Gollum crouched upon the ground near the opening. There the hobbits took what they had, they took what they expected would be their last meal before they went down into the nameless land, maybe the last meal they would ever eat together. Some of the food of Gondor they ate, and wafers of the waybread of the elves, and they drank a little. But of their water they were sparing, and took only enough to moisten their dry mouths. I wonder when we'll find water again, said Sam, but I suppose even over there they drink. Orcs drink, don't they? Yes, they drink, said Frodo, but do not let us speak of that. Such drink is not for us. Then all the more need to fill our bottles, said Sam. But there isn't any water up here. Not a sound or a trickle have I heard. In any way, Faramir said we were not to drink any water in Morgul. No water flowing of no water flowing out of inland Morgul were his words, said Frodo. We are not in that valley now, and if we came on a spring, it would be flowing into it and not out of it. I wouldn't trust it, said Sam, not till I was dying of thirst. There's a wicked feeling about this place. He sniffed. And a smell, I fancy. Do you notice it? A queer kind of smell. Stuffy. I don't like it. I don't like it here at all, said Frodo. Step or stone, breath or bone, earth, air, and water all seem accursed. But so our path is laid. Yes, that's so, said Sam. And we shouldn't be here at all if we'd known more about it before we started. But I suppose it's often that way. The brave things in the old tales and songs, Mr. Frodo. Adventures, as I used to call them. I used to think that they were things that wonderful folk of the stories went out and looked for because they wanted them, because they were excited and life was a bit dull. A kind of sport, as you might say. But that's not the way of it, with the tales that really mattered or the ones that stay in the mind. Folks seem to have been just landed in them, usually. Their paths were laid that way, as you put it. But I expect they had lots of chances, like us, of turning back, only they didn't. And if they had, we shouldn't know, because they'd have been forgotten. We hear about those as just went on, and not all to good end, mind you. At least not to what folk inside a story, and not outside call it a good end. You know, coming home and finding things all right, though not quite the same, like old Mr. Bilbo. But those aren't always the best tales to hear, though they may have been the best best tales to get landed in. I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. I wonder, said Frodo, but I don't know, and that's the way of a real tale. Take any one that you're fond of. You may know or guess what kind of tale it is, a happy ending or sad ending, but the people in it don't know, and you don't want them to. No, sir, of course not. Baron, now, he never thought he was going to get that Silla from the Iron cr- Crown in Thangodorodrim, and yet he did, and that was a worse place and a blacker danger than ours but that's a long tale of course and goes on past the happiness and into grief and beyond it and the silmaril went on and came to El- arundel and why sir i never thought of that before you've got you've got some of the light of it in that star glass that the lady gave you why to think of it we're in this same tale still it's going on don't the great tales never end no they never end as tales said frodo but the people in them come and go when their parts ended Our part will end later, or sooner, and then we can have some rest and some sleep, said Sam. He laughed grimly. I mean just that, Mr. Frodo. I mean plain, ordinary rest and sleep and waking up to a morning's work in the garden. I'm afraid that's all I'm hoping for all the time. All the big, important plans are not for my sort. Still, I wonder if we shall ever be put into songs or tales. We're in one, of course, but I mean put into words, you know told by the fireside or read out of a great big book with red and black letters years and years afterwards and people will say let's hear about frodo and the ring and they'll say yes that's one of my favorite stories frodo was a very brave wasn't he dad yes my boy the famousest of the hobbits and that's saying a lot it's saying a lot too much said frodo and he laughed a long clear laugh from his heart such a sound had not been heard in, these, in those places since sauron came to middle earth to Sam suddenly it seemed as if all the stones were listening and the tall rocks leaning over them. But Frodo did not heed them. He laughed again. Why, Sam, he said, to hear you somehow makes me merry as if the story was already written, but you've left out one. But you left out one of the chief characters. Sam wise the South Heartened. I want to hear more about Sam, Dad. Why didn't they put in more of his talk, Dad? That's what I like it. That's what I like. It makes me laugh. And Frodo wouldn't have got far without Sam, would he, Dad? Now, Mr. Frodo, said Sam, you shouldn't make fun. I was serious. So was I, said Frodo, and so I am. We're going on a bit too fast, you and I. Sam are still struck in the worst places of our story. And it is all too likely that some will say at this point, Shut the book now, Dad. We don't want to read any more." Maybe, said Sam, but I wonder... But I wouldn't be one to say that. Things done and over and made into part of great tales are different. Why, even Gollum might be good in a tale, better than he has have by you, anyway. And he used to like tales himself once, by his own, out, by, by his own account. I wonder if he thinks he's the hero or the villain. Gollum, he called. Would you like to be the hero? Now where's he got to again? There was no sign of him at the mouth of their shelter, nor in the shadows near. He had refused their food, though he had, as usual, accepted a mouthful of water, and then he seemed to curl up for a sleep. They had supposed that one at any rate of his objects in his long absence the day before he had been to hunt for food to his own liking, and now he had evidently slipped off again while they talked. But what for this time? I don't like him his sneaking off without saying, said Sam, and least of all now, he can't be looking for food up here, not unless there's some kind of rock he fancies why there isn't even a bit of moss it's no good worrying about him now said frodo we couldn't have got so far not even within the sight of the past without him and so we'll have to put up with his ways if he's false he's false all the same i'd rather have him under my eye," said sam all the more so if he's false do you remember he would never say if the past was guarded or no and now we see a tower there and it may be deserted and it may not do you think he's gone to fetch them orcs or whatever they are no i don't think so answered frodo even if he's up to some wickedness and i suppose that's not unlikely i don't think it's that not to fetch orcs or any servants of the enemy why wait till now and go through all the labour of the climb and come so near the land he fears he could probably have betrayed us to orcs many times since we met him No, if it's anything, it'll be some little private trick of his own that he thinks is quite secret. Well, I suppose you're right, Mr. Frodo, said Jim. Not that it comforts me mightily. I don't make no mistake. I doubt that he'd hand me over to orcs as gladly as kiss his hand, but I was forgetting his precious. No, I suppose. This whole time it's been the precious for poor Schwiegel. That's the one idea in his little schemes, if he has any. But now bringing us up here will help him in that is will help him and that is more than i can guess very likely he can guess himself said frodo and i don't think he's got just one plain scheme in his muddled head i think he really is in part trying to save the precious from the enemy as long as he can for that would be the last disaster for himself too if the enemy got it and in the other part perhaps he's just biding his time and waiting on a chance yes slinker and stinker as i've said before said sam but the nearer they get to the enemy's land, the more like, the more like Stinker Slinker will get. Mark my words. If ever we get to the pass, he won't let us really take the precious thing over the border without making some kind of trouble. Yeah. We haven't got there yet," said Frodo. "No, but we'd better keep our eyes skinned till we do. If we're caught napping, Stink will come out on top pretty quick. Not but if what, not but what it would be safe for you to have a wink now, Master." Safe if you lay close to me. I'd be dearly glad to see you have a sleep. I'd keep watch over you in any way if you lay near, with my arm round you. No one could come you without your Sam knowing it. Sleep, said Frodo and sighed, as if out of a desert, a desert he had seen a mirage of cool green. Yes, even here I could sleep. Sleep then, Master. Lay your head in my lap. And so Gollum found them hours later, when he returned, crawling and creeping down the path out of the gloom ahead. Sam sat, Sam sat propped against the stone, his head dropping sideways and his breathing heavy. In his lap lay Frodo's head, drowned deep in sleep. Upon his white forehead lay one of Sam's brown hands, and the other lay softly upon his master's breast. Peace, peace was in both their faces. Gollum looked at them. A strange expression passed over his lean, hungry face. The gleam faded from his eyes, and they went dim and grey and old and tired. A spasm of pain seemed to twist him, and he turned away, peering back up towards the pass, shaking his head as if engaged in some interior debate. Then he came back and slowly, putting out a trembling hand, very cautiously, he touched Frodo's knee. But almost the touch was a caress. For a fleeting moment, could be one of, could one of the sleepers have been him? They would have thought that they had beheld an old weary hobbit shrunken by the years that had carried him far beyond his time beyond friends and kin and the fields and streams of youth an old starved pitiable thing but at that touch frodo stirred and cried out softly in his sleep and immediately sam was wide awake the first thing he saw was gollum pawing at his master as he thought hey you he said roughly what are you up to nothing nothing said gollum softly nice master i dare say said sam but where have you been to sneaking off and sneaking back you old villain Paul withdrew himself, and a green glint flickered under his heavy lids almost spider-like he looked now, crouched back on his bent limbs with the protruding eyes with his protruding eyes. The fleeting moment had passed beyond recall, sneaking, sneaking, he hissed hobbits always so polite yes oh nice hobbits Schmiegel brings them up secret ways that nobody else could find tired he is thirsty he is yes thirsty and he guides them and searches for paths and they say sneak sneak very nice friends oh yes my precious very nice sam felt a bit remorseful though not more trustful sorry he said i'm sorry but you startled me out of my sleep and i shouldn't have been sleeping and that made me a bit sharp and mr Frodo he's that tired i asked him to have a wink and well that's how it, it is sorry but where have you been to sneaking said gollum and the green gun did not leave his eyes Oh, well, very well said sam have it your own way i don't suppose it's so far from the truth and now we'd better all, all be sneaking along together what's the time is it today or tomorrow it's tomorrow said gollum or this was tomorrow when hobbits went to sleep Very foolish, very dangerous, if poor Smeagol wasn't sneaking about to watch. I think we shall get tired of that word soon, Sam, but never mind, I'll wake Master up. Gently he smoothed the hair back from Frodo's brow and bending bending down spoke softly to him. Wake up, Mr. Frodo, wake up. Frodo stirred and opened his eyes and smiled, seeing Sam's face bending over him. Calling me early, aren't you, Sam, he said, it's dark still. Yes, it's always dark here, said Sam, but Gollum's back, Mr. Frodo, and he says it's tomorrow, so we must be walking on. The last lap. Frodo drew a deep breath and sighed up. The last lap, he said. Hello, Schmeagol. Found any food. Have you had any rest? No food, no rest, nothing for Schmeagol, said Gollum. He's a sneak. Sam clicked his tongue but restrained himself. Don't take names to yourself, Smeagol, said Frodo. It's unwise whether they are true or false. Smeagol has taken what's given him, answered Gollum. He was given that name by kind Master Samwise, the hobbit that knows so much. Frodo looked at Sam. Yes, sir, he said. I did use the word waking up out of my sleep sudden and all and finding him at hand. I said I was sorry, but I soon shan't be. Come, let it pass then, said Frodo. But now we seem to have come to the point. you and i shmeagol tell me can we find the rest of the way by ourselves we're in sight of the pass of way in and if we can find it now then i suppose our agreement can be said to be over you have done what you promised and you're free free to go back to food and rest wherever you wish to go except to the servants of the enemy and one day i may reward you i are those that remember me no no not yet gollum whined oh no they can't find the way themselves can they oh no indeed there's the tunnel coming. Schmiga must go on. No rest, no food, not yet.